getting some erectile dysfunction with my guy here, not having having a little difficulty. There we go. He was having. I had to do a little uh, manual stimulation of the of the phone holder there to make that happen. Might have a little bit too much chest here. Might be too erotic for some of y'all. I don't want to get y'all sprung, as the kids say, or they used to say back when I was a kid. The kids said sprung. Now I don't know what the hell they say. Uh, yeeted, or is that too old? Are we done with yeeted already? Uh, choomed? What about choomed? Chiving? What do you say? Torqued? I like yeeted, honestly. I thought yeeted was fun. We're totally blorped, man. We're totally blorped. I know I'm blorped. We're all very blorped to be here, Scro. Something like that? News got me feeling like this. Damn it. Fucking YouTube. Apremois de Luge, baby. Uh, but that's always the case, right? Everybody thinks that. So I wanted to start off talking about the big thing about Woodward and his speech, and his, uh, a particular thing about Woodward and his, the thing he recorded Trump saying, which is, once again, it's hilarious. It's Trump at his best, just floating out going, it's very deadly. It'll kill you. You cough. Ah! And the very important thing is, is the air. You gotta breathe. You don't have to touch somebody. The way he has to explain it, if anyone's read it, the way he explains to Woodward how, how like, uh, like breath bubble, like air droplet transmission, the way air droplet transmission of disease happens versus skin to skin contact, as though he invented it, as though he had to crack it himself. Just, he's one of the dumbest people on earth. It really is funny. And people say, no, no, he's smart. It's like, he has, he's one of those people who has completely, he completely, his, his transparent need to be loved, his transparent and deep and abiding uh, emptiness that he has to fill at all times meant that he assimilated what celebrity meant in this country faster than almost anybody in the, in, in we have. He just, the one talent he has shown in his life is being famous. So that is a skill. That is an intelligence. By any definition, that is genius. You could, and the thing is, is people have to be able to be thought of that way. Like Trump is a genius. If you want to talk about genius as the ability to, inst- to process quickly some vector, like some th- way of, some question some array like there are physical geniuses who are good at sports you know there are mathematical geniuses who can master uh, you know the implications of numbers and then there are geniuses who understand what it is to be famous and then make themselves that way a savant but the problem is is that the job of president traditionally has not been that of savant in that way in the way first of all not in any way the president being a savant is a terrible idea the president should not be a savant in any one thing because it means that they're wildly, wildly incapable in all the other ways because it takes too much concentration to keep yourself pointed in that direction, especially when you're dealing with the fucking rotted oatmeal that is Trump's brain at this point. But because we've 
turned politics into a spectacle. Of course, a genius of media, a genius of fame, would of course take power. Of course he would, and he did. And so we've got a guy who is, who is a genius at staying famous. Look at what he did with his modest gifts without ever planning for it. He did something that the greatest minds of policy and politics have set themselves like a fucking guided missile for their whole lives and come up short. Bob Dole spent his whole life trying to be president. My God, Henry Clay, the guy invented a political philosophy. He forged, like, Wiggery, like, was, the, was like a transitional fossil in the creation of, like, modern developmental, uh, or um, modern, like, Keynesian economic theory. Like, it all kind of started with Clay. He, he, he gave us, like, the... He gave us the model for like the the post uh, um, the model for uh, Henry Clay gave us the model for what like the state should do in the liberal conception. Wiggery. He invented that shit. Never got to be president. Never got to be president. Ever, he ran, got his ass kicked. His own party at one point, when they thought they could win, when they thought with Van Buren dealing with the crisis of '37. In the 1840 election, they thought, we can actually win this one. We don't want to put Clay out there to get his ass kicked again. And so they denied him the nomination. They said, look, we love you, but we want a, we want a general. We want a beautiful general. Somebody who can reach beyond the nerdery of the, of the dorkish Whigs. A guy who just fought in the big war. Remember? The big war that we opposed. And... Uh, You know, because the Whigs were not the party of westward expansion. That was the Democrats. The Whigs were the party of, hold on a second, wait a minute. So Harrison was like an embodiment of like the Democratic frontier aesthetic, but he was also a genuine Whig in that he believed in the American system. And so they give it to him. And Henry Clay got so pissed that when they offered him the VP, he didn't take it. He told them to fuck off. And so they just decided to do a further bit of bridge building by extending the nomination to John Tyler, who was not a Whig at all. He was a Southern sectionalist. He had broken with Jackson over the question of nullification. And they brought him in under the theory of the big tent, which is exactly what ended up biting the Republicans and America in the ass with Andrew Johnson. It was a similar situation. They got a guy in there who had no, no truck with the Republican platform. And he explicitly wasn't. He was a Democrat. But he, he abided by the principle of unionism, which was transcendent. The way that the Whigs in 1840 wanted anti-Jacksonianism to be the, 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 the providing ideology. And everything else was subsidiary to it. And then, of course, Harrison dies of the poopy water almost immediately. And instead of having Clay, the actual founder of American Whiggery, in power with the Whig majorities in the Houses and Senate, they get a guy who doesn't buy any of it and, and vetoes their entire platform. I mean, my God. My God. What a blunder. One of the biggest blunders ever. And it was Clay's blunder to make because at that point, Harrison was the oldest man who had ever would have run for president. He was 68 at a time when that was like the life expectancy for a rich guy. Higher was lower than that, where there was a giant stagnant pool of human shit a hundred yards behind the White House. This is a recipe for a dead president, yo. Movie, remember that one? And instead, out of pique, Clay says no. And then the entire Whig agenda is destroyed. And it eventually was recaptured by the Republicans. Like, the Republicans continued the Whig tradition, for sure. But like that Whig Republican engine is has been the mechanism why whereby capital expansion through America has been ratified from the bottom uh, from the bottom through like popular consent. Like that's been the, the, the connection between the state and it and like the economy, the political economy. That is the that was the chassis for modern liberalism. which has been dogged by its antithesis, which is like the remnant Jeffersonian-Jacksonian yeoman theory. The yeoman concept of minimal, minimal, uh, minimal government, maximum personal liberty in a context of, uh, of essentially free exploration of land, i.e. settler colonialism. It is a prefigurative remnant of that that's been clashing in one form or another 
ever since the emergence of the Republican Party after 1865. Uh, and now, as the ability for that structure that had been created to actually deliver anything like political legitimacy to the system that it's supposed to, it might actually fall. It could potentially fall, finally, to the infiltration and this re the return of this Jeffersonian conception of at maximum liberty for property holders, which would then be fused with the remnant of what we have created now to become a synthetic, like, neo-feudal reassertion of, like, the, the, the antebellum uh, rulers of this continent. Only now, without even the necessity to create a social network or political legitimacy, it will all be replaced with technology. Technology will fill that space that was filled by popular uh, participation and legitimacy. It's now filled by coercion and technology and surveillance more than anything. More even than the fucking, like, drones. Surveillance. That will lock you down. That will lock you in place in a way that believing you were part of something called America that had values and there was a dream you could participate in, even if you were personally in a bad job or unhappy in life or unable to find opportunities. There was a hope for you. And one of the things you could do to make things better is participate in the political process. And you believed that, and that kept you on the path of a regular citizen, like paying bills, doing a job, or if, if nothing else, not being violently opposed to the state in a way that required it to smack you down with actual authority by spending actual money on you. And that space is now just going to be the fact that, well, I can't do anything else because they know where I am. They, I, they, are, they are the only reason I'm not dead. Because, because I have been so alienated from the ability to reproduce my own life and the, the means of production and consumption are completely dominated and you have to enter into contract with some provider in order to have mere sustenance. And, that, and then what you give up for that is total, uh, total uh, social transparency. How the hell are you supposed to fight that? So yeah, like this, 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 like the thing Bernie and even Biden and, and like the never Trumpers are trying to hold on to is this last stand of this cracking and fracturing and destroyed uh, government engine this political structure, the two-party system and the three representative branches and the fucking states, the whole thing, the entire political structure. It's worm-ridden and termite-infested and it's cracking and collapsing. And they're holding on. They're holding on because they don't know what else to do and because they're, they're the captains. The ship might be going down, but at least they're the captains. And they want to keep that position. And so they're going to fight to the end. They're going to fight in the rubble like it's Berlin 1945. Uh, but eventually they will be subsumed by some sort of like cockamamie spectacleized like fake fascist maybe like populist trump-esque entertain pure entertainment politics that just subsumes all practical considerations and then brutal uh, brutal immiseration at the point of life but in a in a way that is totally isolated from ever creating a meaningful resistance because everyone's alienation is directed towards this intensified, deeply felt, like almost three-dimensional political reality that is politics as we understand it, the electoral system, the, 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 the uh, checks and balances, the Constitution, blah, 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 all that happy horse shit. And, what, and the thing is, is what's drawing this down, what's making this happen, is, is that we've entered the lifeboat. That, that previous model worked with expansion as the, as the undergirding understanding. We will always have frontier to give off. Like the first thing the Republicans did, the first real thing they did in power, besides raise an army to put down the rebellion in the South, was a, sign the Homestead Act, which opened a vast swath of the Louisiana Purchase to the, uh, to the homesteading of anyone who put down stakes and stayed there for five years. Free real estate on a scale never before done in any Western civilization. That kind of land reform took generations and, in fact, never happened in most of Europe. In Latin America, it has also largely been fought and almost not happened because we imported a European proletariat rather than enslave and then 
colonize, or not colonize and enslave, an indigenous proletariat, which is the difference between northern and southern colonialisms. But that meant that we could keep people on board even as labor was being exploited, even as war was being fought on mechanistic levels far beyond everyone's consideration even a few years previously. There's always land to give. And once the land gave out, there was, just at that moment, the possibility of global domination. America being the world hegemon. Just a time to take up for the frontier thesis being closed, being, being read out of history. Boom. We have, we have the new frontier. And then after, the, after World War II, my God, it becomes, it becomes a con it be, it's beyond empire. It's, it's like global subsumption, something never before even considered by Alexander or Napoleon or Hitler. But that broke apart in the 21st century on the rock, not of 9-11. 9-11 gave us the conditions to pursue our final uh, Icarus-like flight into the sky, our final mad thrust towards control before the fucking rictus set in and our blood vessels started bursting. The last grab of the dying man as, the, as the, he gets pulled down deep by the heart attack. That was the rack. Iraq was going to be where we made the future safe for America by betting down the demons we had unleashed by 9-11, which had infiltrated us to the molecular level. And it did the trick, but it was dependent on us winning. And guess what? We didn't. It was not because it's it's because they overestimated their, their capabilities. That old collective Dunning-Kruger effect kicked in. They'd spent so much time building themselves up through, for propaganda purposes to themselves, to the, the people of the country, the people of the world, America's indomitable power that they had to assume in a moment of need that it was there. And then, oh, oh, what's this? Oh, oh no. Maybe I had a few too many fucking steaks after all. Boom. And that's why we're now in this mad gasp at the end, this grasp, this horrible realization that we're not, no longer sailing to the frontier. The ship is sinking. And it's grab what you can and go overboard. And that's, the, that's where all the white nationalism comes from. Uh, and that's where like this nascent socialist spurt, spurt comes from. But the sad thing and the terrifying thing is that um, these are just epiphenomenon. Like these political cultures that we think are so important, the new left, the left, the alt-right, or like ethno-nationalists, Pepe is whatever you want to call them, uh, they are they are steam venting off of a social structure that is inert. They are just the most febrile tendrils because they are the overproduced elite of the dying middle class. They have the time, they have the vocabulary to express their alienation. The vast majority are inert in the sense that they are alienated, but they cannot give meaning or definition to that alienation. And that means that we cannot win at the level of symbol. That's the horror. Is that no argument taken place in the discourse, no amount of information, no event reported on will ever give us any sense of power. We will continue to exist in the agonized state of eternal anxiety, of trying something, kind of knowing it doesn't work, but not having any alternative, and so just crossing your fingers and hoping it does that awful state that drives people to things like fascism, the flight from the freedom of that moment, that, that uncertainty of like, what am I doing and why? Is this even going to happen? And um, that means it has to come from like the dam breaking because of some real material conditions. In our case, the rapidly accelerating alien, uh, uh, horror of the pandemic disaster that we're dealing with. This, this crisis that is very akin to 1905 Russia in the sense of the legitimacy of the regime being critically compromised. A regime that had like deep mystical connection to like the peasantry and our neo like Kulak class that I talk about, the, the, the Pringles in a tube, the, the, the last generation to grow up, at the, the, the generation to grow up in suburban splendor and expect that is like the standard. The, the Pringles, for them that's true. 
But for most people, they're only experiencing this as alienation. And the, and the thing is, because we're going to get more alienation, people are going to experience things differently. And the hope is, is that that breaking of the dam will rearrange people and they will see things new and they will experience things anew and they will see the world with fresh eyes and that that sight will give them real understanding. And I know that that sounds mystical and it sounds like a cope, but that's literally what I'm describing is, is any revolution because you, it, it works through the structures that exist prior, but it has to be powered in the moment by engines of, in the moment, emotional overcome. I am too... I, my heart cries out. I have no mouth, but I must scream. And it's that energy that powers movements. But the thing is, it can't be spontaneous, and that's the anarchist failing. The anarchist failing is, as you think, without structures to direct the flow, just ex this waiting for the popular uprising will happen, and you will get something that's non-hierarchical and won't have all the icky features of an army that's trying to impose power over and control means of production. Uh, that's how it starts. That's the, that's the fucking like, gas in the engine. But the only way that it catches is if it's directed by existing institutions. And that's why the, 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 the motto always has to be, if you're not in the exact moment of crisis, and you have to, be, you have to like, make a good faith effort to figure out what that is, you have to be building towards one instead of expecting one or trying to incite one ahead of time. But the thing about this like reality is it's very, very unappealing. And that's why I was talking so much about how we have to act from love and not self-interest. Because if we act from self-interest, the self-interested thing to do is take the bet that things are only going to get worse and then pile high, make roads, gather rosebuds while you may, tune out politics, literally become apolitical, or, uh, or, or, just, or give yourself over to just like the, 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 the libidinal gusher of, of like wild like con confrontational violence apocalyptic violence and fantasizing about bringing that about or trying to bring it about it's going to it's not going to be enough you have to be like I am building something for someone who has to come later I am seeding the bed because someone has to seed the bed not everybody can fucking harvest some people have some of the people who sow are not going to live to reap and they have to they have to feel in their heart as much love for the person in the future who might be able to reap than they, as they feel for themselves, or at least enough to direct them towards that goal rather than personal satisfaction. And I'm saying I'm not there yet, but I'm saying that's the, the, that's the challenge we all have to face to like initiate enough of a kickstart to this process. This is all I realize an incredibly long and detailed and, and uh, oh my God, half an hour long um, uh, digression from what I was actually going to talk about today which is the liberal response to the Woodward revelation and the tape. And it is, obviously I understand why people were morally horrified at what Woodward did. He is a creep. He's a spook. He is likely CIA asset. He wrote a whitewashing CIA book. Uh, he like launders money like Trump does through his fake foundation. Uh, he was a naval intelligence officer until right before becoming a fucking Washington Post star political reporter just in time to destroy the presidency of a guy who just happened to be abrogating to his personal self the entire prerogative of the deep state, foreign policy and defense policy, the things that are not the president's to have solely to his own power. It raises a lot of questions. And anyway, he's a creep. And doing what he did was purely self-interested. Like, the guy is a moral slug. He doesn't think of things in moral terms. It's all transaction to him. Like, you give, some, you give a good... You give some guy a puff piece here, he gives you a good goosey, juicy scoop there. You're not judging any of it. You're just weighing it. You're just, you're a middleman. That's, and that's the way they see themselves. And that's the old journalistic idea. And you can argue with it, but it's what they think. Anyway, people were mad at him because he didn't think of like the fact that people needed to hear this. And I understand why they're mad at him, but I do think it's interesting to see how visceral the response was in terms of people who said, basically, that... All the people who died of COVID in the U.S., the 200,000 and the maybe 500 who will, uh, are on Woodward's head because hypothetically, if he had released the tape in February while Trump was saying it's not a big deal, and he said, yeah, but you said this to me, that that would have somehow stopped what happened from happening. And to that I say, I don't think a single person who think, feels that emotionally could explain to themselves how that could happen realistically. 
like what what what's the thinking here you know like people see oh trump said one thing behind closed doors and then he did another thing what I guess the thought is people wouldn't be able to lie to themselves about COVID and they'd be like, well, I know he says it's a, a, a phony here, but he said this, that it's real. Or that Trump would be forced to be like, you got me. I take it seriously now. That might have changed the contours of the distribution of the pandemic, but I don't think we would have escaped pandemic spread in this country. I will say that. We would not have. And, and beyond that, it's like, well, you're talking about random chance now. Like, what are you really mad at? And for people who are acting like this is like a, a moment in history that could have changed the river of time, I'm sorry, no way. And I think the reason people have an instinctual, even if they understand it logically that it doesn't make sense, they instinctively think that this is a real possible thing that could have happened because they are, still, they are completely captured by politics as a spectacle, right? Like you can say, oh no, they want you to vote. But it's like, yeah, but remember, voting is just this symbol. The voting stands in for four years of obeying the law. Like, you spend four years being exploited and having that exploitation then rendered into, like, a culture for your consumption all year. Uh, and the thing that makes you consent to it is that you wait in line and you fucking put a vote in. That It's the ritual. It isn't actual action. It is a ritual as much as watching a debate or arguing about them are. It's ritualized behavior in that it's not meant to actually interfere with the real structures of power. Uh, now, those things do activate at the level of the politicalism. People we vote in to do that then do exercise power and influence that does direct history. I think that's true. But they are doing it with only the faintest whiff of momentum coming from below. The real engine is the, is, is the, is the, the real governing is done at the level of negotiating between firms. Because those are the people who have access, who are there every day. We select the people to go and do it, but then they do the real governing with the firms. And the stuff with the firms is made invisible, and then all we see is the, is the puppet show. And I know this sounds like a cliche, but I mean, this is literally how this stuff works. And those are heavy-handed uh, metaphors, but they're also accurate. Because the crucial thing about that metaphor is that something is a whole and is operating as a mechanism but we culturally only engage with the mechanism, with, with the front of it, with like one gear spinning rather than the entire mach machinery. And that's so that we keep thinking that's the entire thing. I mean, it's sleight of hand. They think that now, even now, even as we have seen the erosion of reality in front of our faces as like everything gets hyper-normalized before it even happens. I mean, like, you could argue that Blade Runner 2049 hyper-normalized what's happening in California already because everybody thinks they're, like, blowing people's minds by showing pictures of Blade Runner and being like, oh, my God, this is Blade Runner. What they're actually doing is they're recreating this ritual of recognition and then assent, like, oh, yeah, Blade Runner, that movie, that was kind of, that was a fun movie. That was a good movie. And you know what? There were still cool cars. There was a guy in a, in, in, with a robot girlfriend and a gun. Hey, Harrison Ford's here. It's still our world. And so when we see it, it's like a recognition that is relief. So anyway, that means that we are engaged totally in the pageantry of this thing. And we give it meaning, which means we have to think that on its terms it works. And so the way they think things work is that if enough people at the right moment hear or see something bad or good about a leader, that it will change their minds in such a concentrated way that it, it, it literally cracks the foundation of reality. Like, it, it stops the gears of history and breaks them. Like, a, perfect, a miniature example of this is um, um, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, where um, uh, Jimmy Stewart has to do a fucking... Uh, filibuster, one-man filibuster to protect the funding of some, like, Boy Scout troop, uh, which honestly now, after everything, is very sus. It's like, why do you like Boy Scouts so much, guy? You've been talking for 40 hours about Boy Scouts? This is sus. Finally, his throat gives out as it must, and he collapses. And the reason he wins is because the evil senator who was in charge of the thing botches a suicide attempt and confesses because he was moved by the words. And every political story that we tell ourselves has that ending. 
where something bad has ended by everyone becoming aware of something bad and it changing things. The moment when the police march in and march away the bad guy. And we all think that that's possible. And even with Trump disproving all of our notions of political reality in front of us, we still, because we don't have an alternative, we think that's the whole show. We think participating at the level of voting and this passion play is the only way we can. So if those buttons don't do anything, we're fucked. And so we're just going to keep hitting them harder. Um, but so we have no example. So we imagine a fantasy counterexample that cannot be disproven. So I don't think it's likely that anything significant would have changed if that had happened. But to a liberal, even if he doesn't think of it, he can imagine to enough to, at the level of gonads, not even at the level of a conscious uh, fantasy, uh, a situation where this thing gets revealed and overnight Trump's approval rating drops to zero. Everyone on Fox News distances themselves from Trump. And it's essentially what happened in Watergate, which is the actual model for all of this. Like, Watergate is the one time it happened that they have now modeled the rest of the world on, even though time has passed. And the political economy we had, and especially the partisan constituency of Congress, which is a huge, huge part of it, and also the the state, the, the like, the the, the um, hegemonic status of the media as a trusted third party. Those are inconceivable now. Those conditions do not obtain. But that fantasy of Watergate is the fantasy that motivates everything. And it's even beyond the election. It's even beyond the election. And that was always what impeachment was about. And that's what all of it boils down to, is there's a one version of reality where something different happened, and we got the final thing. And so they're mad at Woodward for not having a thing already out. Like, what would have happened is they would have done another impeachment, and he would have resigned or been arrested. Right? You have to admit that's what you're thinking. Because what is any other scenario that changes things? Oh, uh, Ted Cruz has to go on TV and tap dance for a little bit and pretend to not understand the question when asked about the president's comments. Trump just bebops and scats. Uh, what really happens is, is that the structure of America at this point could not accommodate fucking coronavirus. We are a rickety goddamn carousel, and everyone knew it. When Trump talks about how he didn't want to make a panic, he didn't mean like people running in the streets like it's War of the Worlds and they think that the radio is real. It's the market collapsing. The market collapsing. The prospect of all of that capital disappearing overnight without giving people chances, the people at the top, time to hedge. Time to make sure they shorted that motherfucker. And that would exist no matter who's in charge. So Hillary Clinton, she would not have gone outside and said, it's a hoax. She never would have done that. But we didn't have the rapid response to deal with this thing. We didn't have the capacity to make enough masks in time. If, if we told people to get masks, the reason we told people not to get masks is because we didn't know we had enough. So that's the thing we couldn't have done. So it might have reduced the spread, but the spread was inevitable. Look at the performance of the Democratic governors, these guys who were supposed to be the heroic alternatives to Trump. These guys have the most blood on their hands. And it's not because they're uniquely evil. It's because they're big states that got it early. And what happens when you're a big state that gets it early is the economic reality of just, of just annihilating that much value overnight over a, something that might happen, because what if we catch it in time? What if we catch it? What if we stop it? What if we contain it? What if we get a quick cure? Oh, it's actually this old thing. Oh, what if we get a fast cure? What if, we, what if it just dies out? What if it goes less lethal? People don't know that much about science. And that's what Trump did. And that's, I would say, what any of them would do while doing maybe a little bit more to put the brakes on the economy. They would not have slammed shut on the economy the way that would have been necessary to stop the thing from becoming what it became. We would have slow-rolled our way into it one way or the other because we could not stop the fucking wheels from turning. This stuff is all borrowed money. It's a bunch of water wheels of debt that have to be serviced on a moment-by-moment basis. And that means constant inputs. At the end of the road of this constant world machine is the American fucking consumer economy. You cannot turn it off, sir, at a moment's notice. Now, you can turn it off if you have to, and we did, but they gave them fucking time. They gave them time. They gave them time to hedge their bets. They gave them time to get out. Uh, they made it time to, for them to even make money shorting the motherfucker, which a number of them did. The fucking Congress people did. And so there's, so we know for a fact that nothing would have changed absent Trump just being like blown out of office. And even then, you're just f solving the problem of Trump. You're not solving anything having to do with coronavirus. You're just actually fixating on getting Trump out because nothing else has worked. And you're afraid 
that you fucked up by picking Biden and you're going to lose again. They're terrified they're going to lose again. They're so fucking scared they're going to lose again. And so they're imagining, oh my God, what if we got him back in February? They lead him out of, and I'll lead him out of the White House in handcuffs because what could have happened? But what, but what Trump did is what any of them would have done. They would have said, oh God, we don't know if we can contain this economically. We don't know if, or, or like uh, uh, with infrastructure. If this overcomes us, that's a, like a doomsday scenario. But hey, we, we have no way of slowing this economic machinery we, and we don't have the, the infrastructure and resources to combat it from the point of view of state action because we, all those limbs have atrophied. We fucking stopped uh, creating a, uh, like a, a, a reinforcing structure of, of like response nodes out of like the bureaucracy of the state uh, employees. It's all been sold off. So what Trump did was stall and try to hope that something miraculous would happen. And he keeps saying that, oh, it's going to go away. It's going to go away. Bye-bye. It's going to go away because they cannot conceive fixing the problem. And that is beyond Trump. Now, Trump is a particularly unimaginative one of these guys, and so he had even fewer ideas than anybody else, which made him more, of, more in denial than other people because he was so sure he had no alternative. They were all in some stage of denial, and I would argue that that stage of denial, coupled with the actual impracticalities of imposing the system like this on us, because even if Trump says it's real, you look at QAnon, like, how many of them would take his vaccine? I don't think that many, or certainly not all of them. So you have these rips and, trend and uh, splits that could be uh, uh, exacerbated by the fact that for local officials, it will always be more, make more sense to kowtow to people who want you to stay open because they're going to be richer, they're going to be more important to your electoral future. The people who are most at risk are going to be the most expendable. And that calculation runs no matter who, which party you are or what level of power you have. But of course, the response to this is, well, if there's no level of symbol that will work, if, if the thing is on groove so that there's nothing Trump can do to be interfered with, which implies, because a lot of these people assume Trump will try to steal it, at this point, they now think that anything he tries to do, he will succeed at. And I gotta say, it's a hell of a track record. He has not failed at much that he's really tried to do. I mean, hell, he didn't even become fucking president through effort. At least, I mean, there, there was trying there, but it sure as hell wasn't him. You know, now he's, uh, he's, he's flailing away at it. And of course, once again, it wouldn't work against another opponent. Like, Trump is adjusting to his opponent's weaknesses. And um, because he went after Hillary for being crooked and part of the establishment. He started doing that with Biden, if people remember. He tried to do, like, the crooked Biden thing and, like, look at Hunter and all that stuff. But he is now singled in on, because he watches the news omnivorous, omnivorously. You saw today, he, he talked about how in the midst of a pandemic, he spent the entire day watching television. He watched Fox News for nine hours, and he was bragging about it. Amazing, amazing mind. Uh, so he watched all this TV, so he knows what the, mom the, the, the feel of the, the moment is. He gets the grooves, and he sees that, Trump, that Biden's thing is, where is he? Biden's thing is, what is his actual response to this? Everything looks in turmoil. We want something better, but are you actually safe harbor? And his answer has been, look, Jack, uh, you know, uh, bye, uh, th thumbs up emoji. Uh, here's me in Farmville. He has reinforced every... Uh, every concern that he's an empty, a literal empty suit, like just a scarecrow man. Um, and, and that's like a real thing. And the thing is, I don't, and, and it's exacerbated by the fact that the Democratic Party is not in a position to make any promises to anyone because it knows it can't even try to fucking keep them because it might win too much. What if they really won? What if they were back in the Obama position? They wouldn't be able to do what they need to do they want to avoid that. They want divided government above all else because they do want to make sure that Trump doesn't just like personally take over the government because, hey, they had a deal with the Republicans. They didn't have a deal with Trump. And that's like the real split here. It's the people who have accommodated, accommodated themselves to Trumpism as a third force in politics that is like now remaking the landscape or the ones who uh, are sticking with like the old sh fragments and trying to w weld them together, like the, the old Republican Party, like the up until Romney Party to the Democrats. And they don't want to take power under a moment of like in, uh, of like emboldened progressive demands. That's why they had to destroy Bernie at all costs, including the cost of thousands of their own voters, for Christ's sake. 
they had to fucking stop him no matter what. And it's really frustrating because, like, it shows that how much work there is to do because Bernie got real far with the media entirely against him and with that media having a direct propaganda line from the Democratic Party to their own voters. They're like a baby bird. They were feeding voters their own beliefs, incepting them every day on MSNBC and on CNN uh, and on the Internet in general, like the respectable sites that they would look at, not QAnon stuff. Uh, And they still did really well, but uh, they weren't breaking through to that second layer I talked about. And that's why I get so frustrated with people who take the discourse seriously, because they say, well, the discourse powered, you know, Bernie and and brought him down. But like Bernie was still reaching out way farther into that repressed loam than the fucking discoursers online are. And it still wasn't enough, which means you're way farther away from it. And I guess the thinking is, if you try harder, you'll like create a bigger political structure. But I don't think the evidence persists for that. We're going to have to go back and refocus our energy. People are going to have to refocus their energy. That's going to be, I hate to sound like a crystal guy, but we have to refocus our energy. And as for whether Biden wins or Trump loses, I don't know. And this is the important thing about the the democratic fantasy, the liberal fantasy of like having the discourse make everyone's mind at once in one way, like just flash-frying us to some sort of political consensus that transcends the moment that brought us to Trump being in power, is that if he loses the election and goes in any way, he will still be there. He will be Banco's ghost. He will be the nightmare jester. He's going to have his own TV station. ONNA, baby. He's going to be the man every night. And QAnon is going to be growing. And this will be the specter that haunts them. And that means that they have to increase their fantasies and, and the, the richness of their fantasies of those what-if moments, those counterfactuals where it could have been different, which can never be disproved because they never happened. And they never happened because they were impossible. This is cloud cuckoo land, what people like to call Yeah, I saw that Antifa is now to blame for the fires. That's, of course, going to happen because it's all a unified field. It enfolds eventually everything because what it is is it's a discursive map, right? It's a map of territory. It's, it's, it's mapping reality, which means eventually it has there. It, it, it touches everything you touch. If, if reality is your understanding of, like, the media, then eventually every element, like, that's why they like, they talk, everything's about celebrities. They have to incorporate a huge part of their life, which is celebrities. They observe through celebrity culture and through media things they watch they have to be part of it everything politics has to be part of it it's totalizing so of course if there's a bad thing that happens especially if the other answer is lies George Soros lies like global warming like that's especially it if, if there isn't if there's a non-political explanation maybe you don't have to get to it yet but if there's something happening that is part of your media diet that does not have does not have an explanation within the rubric of Q, it becomes an irritant, and you have to neutralize it. And so, oh, somebody makes a fake post about Antifa guys getting arrested uh, for setting a fire, and then they send it out. And even that person doesn't have to be uh, uh, cynical. That person could be earnest. That person could, be, could say, yeah, I don't know this isn't technically true, but I know they did it, and I am justified in doing this because it serves the greater good of getting out the truth. And then every and that's why you could never ask anybody who retweets any of these old Q people who who post insane shit that is clearly not true. Like do you really think Ilan Omar was quoted saying, you know, I am a I am a whore for Allah and I must, you know, decapitate your blonde children? Like what what the fuck? They would say, yeah, but you know she thinks that. You know she thinks that. And that's all it takes, because it's worth it to get it out there. Because otherwise, they're going to cheat and keep it from you. 
So now Antifa, and apparently people are patrolling ground uh, areas to keep out Antifa. They're way more likely to sh- start a fire by like firing off a few rounds into the... So apparently there was a fire c- caused by some guys shooting off guns uh, in the vicinity of a, a, a f- like dry timber. So they could be out there shooting at fake Antifa guys and light their own fire. Things are getting way too on the nose, man. That's really the moment, isn't it? The moment now is all that is subtext rising and replacing text. It's a, it's a bummer, man. It's a real bummer. Uh, I saw the Adolf Reed thing. Um, I thought it was really funny the number of people who go immediately after he starts talking, oh, they got to him. Unless you're, like, these people think, all of them, ID people too, their I, their concepts are essentially, uh, it's uh, things spread by, like, viral patterns. Like, you, you either replace someone's brain through some combination of social pressure and uh, their own desire for advancement, uh, and then they just become zombified versions of themselves. Uh, and I think that might happen sometimes, but for the most part, people are acting out of earnest self, uh, what they think is good faith. They just have different priors and that you have to resolve them through engagement. You cannot resolve them by declaring them heretics and just reinforcing every time something happens the same old arguments because you drive yourself further and further away. (coughs) And that drives people towards these absurd positions that like the new ruling class is like fucking blue checks. Like the real ruling class of this massive world-bestriding colossus is is, is anxiety Brooklyn blue checks. That is an absurd concept to me, and I reject it fully. And I think that the embrace of it is an attempt to, to turn the uh, that deformed spectacle of Twitter, that like this island of shit, into the universe. Like you're on a dunghill that you have decided is the cosmos, and you're gonna kill anybody who walks over and says you're wrong. Hey, get off the t- piece of shit. And so people drive themselves to absurd conclusions. And as I have said. On all sides, people have to have a point where they reach, oh, am I just doing this because I have to get more and more psychic pleasure and enjoyment out of out of higher and higher staked arguments because I feel less and less at power in my miserable life? Am I just coping strictly and not focusing my energy at all on redirecting, like, away from just reinforcing this sick need, this, this fake angst where half of my pleasure is pain? Half of my love is hate, as in like consciously, as in like half of the love I feel in the world is actually the hate I feel for these other people. And that's what drives me. That's, that's sterile and it eventually overcomes your reasoning and you are no longer right. You're not even right. It's one thing if you were arguing these points and you were right. Now you're not even right. You're off the fucking beam. Oh shit. But you'll never know because anybody who tells you you're off the beam, they sold out. They got to them. And now you're floating off into space. And all I can say then is bye-bye. That's why I don't engage these questions. I say bye-bye. And this is why if Adolf Reed did say that somebody got to Angela Nagel, I don't think that's true either. Because he is using that reasoning that got him there to continue moving on, even though he realizes, oh, I'm like really just reinforcing an argument I'm having on the internet. I'm not trying to get to the truth. If she does something else, it's because someone got to her because I'm still thinking in those terms. I'm still thinking in, in like, there's the pod people and there's the real people. Not, we're fucking moving from different priors and grind, banging and grinding off of each other and bumping and grinding off one another. Both of these are wrong positions. I think the people, those people have been, some of them have been making money and some of them are willing to sell out Mussolini style on both sides. Like the number of people who are just like total scammers and, and absolute nihilists who consider themselves super woke and ID Paul and like uh, uh, the most sainted, p- pure being of like white prejudice recognition. They take that fact, the fact that they have a pure understanding of racial dynamics, even though they're white. They've transcended their white, their white taint, their guilt. They've transcended their guilt. Well, because that, I can see things clearly and America is too racist. Everyone else isn't as good as me. Nothing's going to get better. So I get to do the same ego piling on selfishness as like 
the fucking disgusting chud monsters who, like Alex Jones, who are just going to sell supplements while the world burns. They're going to laugh themselves to the bank because, no, no, I'm a good person. I'm not just being uh, cynical, but I'm so good that I know that this can't be redeemed. And in the meantime, it's good for me to do advance myself. If you are POC, you can say anything I do to advance myself is justice. And if you're uh, a white person who has like, fully acknowledged their privilege or is so aware every moment that they could never acknowledge their privilege, then you deserve it for being better than all those off- other awful white people. Most dynamics reinforce each other, and the thing that the, the main point I'm making is none of it requires anybody to be got to, either by deep-pocketed insiders, uh, like hedge fund guys, uh, um, woke capitalist corporations like Nike or fucking Gate or or the Gates Foundation. Those people do exist. Like one of the leading prison abolitionists is underwritten by the Ford Foundation. Does anyone know that? Is anyone aware of that fact? Ford Foundation grants for prison abolition. We're going to have a Ford company, but we're not going to have prisons. That's, that's the world that they are trying to sell you. But that is not everybody. And going from the assumption that it's everybody will leave you like spinning around in a circle trying to find a wall to avoid getting stabbed in the back because you can't trust anyone. And trust is the beginning of everything because trust is what builds... Trust is the basis for love. And of course, people say there's no left-wing heritage foundation. No, no, but there is. Uh, I mean, there is a meager scrap of, of of clout to be had. There are jobs. There are. There's streams of revenue. There's. You can get a fucking uh, woke podcast, a woke uh, Patreon, a woke uh, a woke OnlyFans. There's something to be had. It's not as much as you could get from the Heritage Foundation, but you're good enough to not want that. You have enough principle. You are better than those people in a fundamental way. You've not given up the fight to the degree that they have, where they don't even they think the fight has been won. That's how bad they are. But at, you still stop short of like decentering your ego enough to be effective. And then you want to defend that position. Everyone's got to defend their position. It's grim. I know I keep saying it, but people need to keep hearing it, I think. Because I'm getting new listeners, presumably. We're going to start on a, our own stream now. It's going to be podcast available, so presumably a bunch of people who don't fuck with YouTube, and I totally understand, or Twitch, once again, completely get it, are going to hear them. So I'm going to keep banging the dinner bell. Because it's supper's on, motherfuckers. All right, guys, I'm going to go. Peace.